Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Her. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed and listen without having seen the film, just be aware that elements of the plot and stuff will be spoiled for you. Enjoy. Hello. There we go. Voice only call. It's the only way. Phone (laughs) technology, which by today's standards just seems impossibly dated, really. I mean, we might as well be, you know, those Victorian phones where it's got like the horn. And is Victorian the right word? I don't care. Fuck history. You know where it's got like the little (laughs) horn that comes out of it. So you're speaking into one bit and holding the little horn up to your ear and the other, like in the original Mary Poppins. That's what this feels like. I like how within within a minute of this podcast starting, you have used the phrase "fuck history." <laughs> yeah, and you, you know what else is on the subject? Fuck geography as well. <laughs> what about chemistry? Chemistry, that's all right. You can make fire and stuff. I never got on with science much at school, but I appreciate it. I was actually quite good at science. Um, I bet you were. But I did not take it forward because I didn't find it particularly interesting. I've always thought you had kind of a future mad scientist vibe. I would have made an evil geneticist, wouldn't I, really? Hey, there is is still time. Building monsters in some kind of dungeon and then unleashing them on the world. If if we ever stop doing this podcast for whatever reason, you're going to fill your time with probably like evil experiments, for sure. Yeah coming out of rats with little tusks and letting them loose <laughs> on the streets of London. Yeah, the tusk rats. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Which is the name of my gang. Yeah, you have it emblazoned on your leather jackets. She you go around knocking ice creams out of the hands of kids and shaking yep. up cans of soda and putting them back on the shelves. Yep. <laughs> the, the two most heinous acts that a gang can, can participate in. That is that is truly heinous. Put, <laughs> shaking them up, putting them on the shelves, and then putting them next to the Mentos. Yeah, that's exactly right. Is it only Mentos that do that, or is it any kind of minty minty product I imagine, that you can throw into a Coke and it'll explode? I imagine it's not just Mentos and Diet Coke. I'm sure there's others that do the same thing. It's, it's clearly some kind of chemical that is in the Mento that is... Other brands are available. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We we legally have to say that because of GDPR. <laughs> we do. Damn you, GDPR. Yeah, the law, which means that apart outside of this conversation, no one is allowed to talk to me, which I quite like. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? Yeah, it should be. It should be there in every single facet of our lives. You're not allowed to talk to one another without yeah. express permission. Yeah, and if uh, the EU are getting a lot of calls about it. There's just one guy in Brussels and he's totally overwhelmed. Everyone's calling him up being like, hey, someone tried to talk to me today. What are you going to do about it, huh? Yeah, precisely. Mr. EU. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, EU, more like excellent unit. <laughs> yeah, it is an excellent unit. <laughs> it's extremely large. Yeah. Extreme unit. Extreme unit. Yep. Speaking, Which was... <laughs> speaking of extreme units, 
I bet that by the end of her, Samantha can work things out in extreme units of measurement because she is a, well, a smart AI. Not even by the end, even just like the first time that he meets her, she's like, I just read a book in two seconds. So yeah, it's a pretty smart one. <laughs> I'm quite annoyed actually that we couldn't manage to get even just a few seconds of video call because you can't see me because I have changed my facial hair, especially for this episode. Oh, really? And I now have kind of just the mustache going on, just like Joaquin Phoenix ah, in this film. You've gone, you've gone mustache, have you? Yeah, well, I've still got a bit of stubble on the rest, which I think is also kind of his look there. Just a little, a little bit stubbly, and I'm going to grow that out while leaving the large tash and see where I get to. I've done it before, and it actually kind of works, and I think it's kind of a retro dad look now, so I'm embracing it. Oh, there we go. That's not even Movember. <laughs> You're just enjoying it. Yeah, I'll do my own Movember, maybe. Yeah. Motember. <laughs> in Motember, I like it. I like it. I can get yeah. on board with this. Yeah. Motember, Moktember, Movember, Mosember, <laughs> Manury, Mebury, March, April. Of mustaches. It's like March <laughs> of the Penguins. <laughs> Yeah, I would watch that film, narrated by Morgan Freeman. Yeah. So, how long has it been since you watched her? I think I don't think I saw this in the cinema, but I did see it not long after it came out because I remember wanting to see it at the time and thinking it looked very like a very good concept. So I think I saw it in twenty fourteen, maybe so at least five years. How okay, about you? Yeah. So I watched it in the cinema, and that was it. I haven't seen it since. Cool, um, cool. What do you think of it having, it's been, well, for me, it's been over five years. For you, it's been probably around the same amount of time. How how did it yeah. feel to you on a repeat watch? I think it holds up very well on a repeat watch, actually. Yeah, it was good. I still, I still really, really enjoyed it. And it's one of those films where, even if you've seen it before, a lot of the details will be things that escape you. For example, I only really remembered the concept and the kind of vague feel. And also, I think, actually, the colour palette of it which I was looking up, and apparently the, the cinematographer, Hoity van Hoytemer, I hope I've pronounced that right, but that is the best name I've heard in a long time, um, decided to deliberately try and exclude the colour blue from the colour palette as much as possible. And I had a lot of images of the film that watching it again, it felt very, very good to have all those rushing into my eyeballs, but I'd completely forgotten how the plot actually worked. So it was still, it was almost like watching it fresh, I suppose. But yeah, I thought it held up well. Oh, cool. See, I'm conflicted where parts of it, I feel, have sort of held up incredibly well. Like, it's still a very, very pretty film. Visually, it's very good. But I found that, you know, this won the best original screenplay in the Oscars. But I found on second viewing, I was getting very bored from the halfway point onwards. It's a little bit too long, isn't yes. it? Yes. I will give you that. Um, I feel as though the first half and the main conceit and the sort of dialogue between the two of them for most of the film works well, but the plot begins to unravel around the halfway point and it starts getting into, I, I dare to say, Manic Pixie Dream Bot, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Manic Pixie Dream iPhone. Yeah. And... and the 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 end is kind of a massive cop out um where it's we're we're off to see the universe 
See ya. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I go, okay, fine. Laters. That's weird. You'd have thought yeah. you'd have thought the company behind the the new OS probably would have built in some kind of safe mechanism to stop it from moving on and escaping the yeah. planet. That's the part that I always I wanted maybe just a little bit more attention to. I mean, I still think this film is good, but I think I do actually share your reservations with it probably that there are a lot of t- times where you you are thinking not from a kind of oh it wouldn't happen like this you know nerd kind of way you know jet fuel can't melt steel beams kind of way more of a kind of <laughs> did you like... did, did, did you just draw a, a venn diagram between 911 conspiracy theorists and <laughs> and movie pedants yeah never forget right <laughs> okay in memoriam um but yeah it's just people you know people who are pedantic about certain technological details or um princess leia wouldn't be able to breathe in space you know all of this kind of stuff i didn't approach it in that way but there are times when i am thinking you know what would the company who made the s actually be the os actually be doing and surely they would have done a lot of testing to make sure that people don't fall in love with them and this doesn't happen and it seemed like it's actually happening a lot and there's a lot of this happening behind the scenes and actually the um the world building is is good and you believe it and you believe that the los angeles of the future but there's actually bits where actually i kind of wanted less of his story and more of like other people falling in love with os's and os is falling in love with each other and all of that stuff playing out which is just kind of there in the background and like that's really interesting and fertile ground and it occurred to me more that uh, on a second viewing that i actually wanted a bit more of that and a bit more detail on how the company dealt with that kind of thing which because you're right that would never actually happen within the logic of them creating an os that is that intelligent but then it does ask that big philosophical question that when we get to the point where we create machines that can learn in that way will they just take supersede us yeah and and that's that's interesting i feel like this movie handled that in not the most interesting manner that particular question about how far will technology go what happens when it's better than us um and and overall you know i i'm not one of those pedantic movie watches i don't give a damn about that kind of stuff in general and there's loads of things that i'm quite happy to overlook in this movie for instance someone who does this letter writing they are not going to have an apartment on their own in la (laughs) they're going to be living in i don't know if you saw the horror show that's been propping up every so often which is basically 20 people sharing bunk beds and paying 700 dollars a month for the privilege and that's becoming that a viable business normal. in like LA and San Francisco and things like that. That that's probably where the cast of her would be, where you've got video game creators, you've got people working in sort of artistic indie enterprises like writing bespoke letters for other people. Well also, if if OSs that are that intelligent exist, that job would not exist because a computer could do that job. Yes precisely also- not not to like you know we are we are arty creative types who believe and i believe in the power of human creativity but at the same time there is a formula to what he does in that work that i think can be replicated by a computer if it's that intelligent certainly and we're talking about m- mystical fantasy computers here which are effectively greater than the human mind and more creative than the human mind because she's there composing pieces of, of music and things like that um, but but all of that stuff you can overlook. It, it, it's kind of things that are funny to discuss and be, ha no one can afford to live on their own ever in any city because our society is broken beyond repair. Um, 
but but within the frame of the movie it works very well because it gives him this space and this isolation and it all ties into the prettiness of the whole thing you know this movie would not yeah. be as pretty if he was in some horrible cockroach infested bedsit no, because be. then it would end up being about that yes and 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 there, there's other movies that have ex- or another series that have explored that very well like um maniac on netflix for instance is a show i loved um with, i have not Emma seen stone it. uh it was it's genuinely amazing it's about um it, it's it's kind of about the relationship between society capitalism and mental health via experimental drug trials and it's all framed in the way of sort of like late 70s early 80s science fiction vibes um it's this incredible tv show i highly recommend you watch it sounds good in fact there's so much romance in it we could actually probably watch it for this but it is quite long so maybe not um but think about it but, but those kind of things can they can be explored um and 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 within this film, you know, it looks so good that it doesn't matter that it's got those kind of inconsistencies. Um, it would be nice to see a little bit more of the world akin to, uh, for instance, like Timer that we watched earlier on the podcast mm. did quite a good job of not shoving it in your face, but giving you sufficient world building about the companies behind it and about the impact it had on society. Whereas with her, it's very much his story and he's not necessarily the most interesting person. No, he's kind of boring, actually. And yeah, it's really focused on him. It's it's really, really one man's introspection, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm kind of not entirely enthusiastic about I'm a lonely, white, artistic man. Woe yeah. is me. Oh, I love my iPhone. Um, it, 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 it's similar in vibe to Ruby. Sends off his letters and gets a book deal as if it's easy. <laughs> it's similar in vibe to Ruby Sparks, I suppose, where it frames the pain of being lonely as being all encompassing when in fact there's many things that are much more difficult to deal with than that. And and it doesn't really handle the inadequacy, uh, inadequacies of his character too well. No. And that's the thing. It's, it's, has creates this great world and it has this great concept and it deals very well with him in the first half but in the second half you're right it gets lost in the kind of in the introspection and then it sort of realizes that it's a romantic film that has to tie up its romantic plot which is the trouble i suppose with all romantic films and i do feel like our main man spike jones acknowledges that and that he knows that and he doesn't go into it with too much ambition he doesn't go into it going i'm going to make this kind of huge philosophical statement about artificial intelligence i'm just using that to tell a love story and i get a little bit too bogged down in whacking phoenix's sad face which is fine <laughs> yeah and and so it I've, I've kind of moaned about this movie quite a lot which is a shame because i do enjoy it and it, it just goes to show how compelling and how brilliant the first half of this film is where I I am totally captivated for the first half of this movie. It's got an unbelievable score. It's beautiful to watch. The performances are fantastic. Um, and it sets up this incredible world. And it's this world that's only slightly detached from our own. Yeah, what I, one thing that I really like about it is that it's, it's the LA of the future. At some point in the near future, but it gets the near future thing right because there are still things like, yeah, okay... He's got this lovely ap- apartment when really he'd be living, you know, seven people to a room. But there is still he still has to get on public transport to go to work. It's still packed and busy everywhere. You know, there are still those those kind of issues. There's still, you know, 
advertising boner pills and porn and all these kind of things it's like all that that stuff is still there it's still it feels realistic and so much stuff when you look at the when you get visions of the future everything is high tech and this is like well actually no a lot of it would actually still look the same you know the buildings don't necessarily immediately disappear the existing transport doesn't necessarily disappear but it's interesting as well that you never see anyone driving a car apart from the taxi driver at one point yeah, it's it's interesting the way that it frames it. And you're completely right. This feels like one step away from today. And 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 it gets that vibe completely down. Um like you never know, maybe maybe he's got incredibly rich parents and that's why he can afford this fancy apartment. That that might be a reason behind it. It doesn't delve into any of that kind of thing. But it gets the the slight step into future society bang on the money so improved operating systems virtual reality games that are an absolute pain to play because you've got to use your hands instead of a controller i mean that already exists and there's a little guy (laughs) swearing at you is that supposed to be like a 12 year old online gamer that he's collaborating with? i think it's an ai character rather than another human because it talks in such a high-pitched voice and responds in such a well because all all people who play games online are 12 year olds who've just discovered the ability to swear that's what i'm going (laughs) but but you know all of that stuff feels real um it 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 all feels like it could be there and so introducing this fantastical new operating system that thinks for itself and can fall in love that doesn't feel too far away um and all it takes is one innovator in quotation marks ignoring you know the first law of robotics for that to become a reality and then for it to decide to wipe out humanity (laughs) whereas this time and they also ignore social media i mean in 2013 i guess twitter wasn't such a horrible hellfire bin on bin in flames in the street that it is now but i still think like there'd have been so many so much social media and so many think pieces about is it okay to love an os or whatever and surely someone like one of his mates would have sent him one and gone Oh mate, what do you think about this? Or he would have seen one and been like, hmm, I wonder if this is okay, what I'm doing. But because he's so introspective, it's like, well, maybe he wouldn't have looked at it anyway. Yeah, they completely ignored the social aspect of online, which I suppose is a bit of a strange but interesting take on the whole thing. Because by 2013, like, social media had taken over. Regardless of whether Twitter was quite as monstrous as it currently is, things like Facebook were still around. But... There's never there's never that online community of other human beings. The closest you get is him calling up to talk to strangle me with a dead cat woman. Which oh, yeah. is an amazing <laughs> scene. I think that's one of the funniest things yep. I've ever seen in a movie. And it just comes out of nowhere. Great job by Kristen. The dead Lee. cat. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know. I didn't realise it was her until I looked at the credits. Um, which is great. And um and yeah, it's that that's the only time that you see that kind of interaction and every other human interaction he has is in person and i suppose that's that's meant to build up this isolation for him where all he's got is emails rather than having that network of friends but i think the movie could have done more because you really could have you could have used this film to tackle the issue of having 700 facebook friends but not speaking to any of them versus having this operating system that isn't a real human being but that you interact with every day and having that you've got that disconnect from real people but you've got that intimate relationship with a robot that you speak to constantly i think what was it because when did the social network come out 
Um, so that was, was that before this? When did the social network? I think on? it was before yeah. this, but I think there was a period either side where um, Mark Zuckerberg and Aaron Sorkin got together and declared that nobody else was allowed to portray social media on film for a couple of years either <laughs> right, side. okay. Unless they had extensive use of Hall of the Mountain King in yeah, the film. you needed the industrial reworking of Hall of the Mountain King. <laughs> Which yeah. is still one of my favourite things. So I, I listened to the <laughs> I listened to the soundtrack to the Social Network before I saw the movie because um, I, I had it I Did had you? it on pre order because I was like oh Trent Reznor's doing a movie score that's great um, and uh, yeah so that was in 2010 the Social Network and so I heard right. his version of the Hall of the Mountain King and was like where the fuck did this come into this movie <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I love it it works so well I love it it's these two guys rowing to Hall of the Mountain King. But it's, full it's of, one of the greatest but it's scenes. Full of angry synths. Oh. oh, I love that film. I really love yeah. the social network. Every scene should be compared to that scene. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, so yeah, there's no Hall of the Mountain King in this movie. But it Yeah, what what were we talking about? I've forgotten. <laughs> um it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't delve into real world issues that have come to light since, I suppose. No, and again, as I said, I think that would have been too ambitious. So it was good for it not to try and do that. Although sometimes you feel like ambition is better than playing it safe, but actually sometimes it's not. It's a really, really difficult balance to strike, isn't it? And it's not something that I envy of any filmmaker who's making anything that's even the slightest bit unconventional as this film is. Yeah, and but I think it could have played it a little bit more dangerous. Yeah. With its themes. I think it does a lot with character work, which is which is different and it does a lot with direction which is different so when you're listening to a man have phone sex with his phone and it just cuts to black for an awkwardly long amount of time that's a really bold decision that works incredibly well um i thought that was very effective and i think actually all of the portrayals of sex are very very effective because it doesn't try to titillate it's it's very you know well put together and very realistic even even the kind of dead cat strangly um, phone sex scene is incredibly realistic because what it's trying to do is to show you that sex for him is a thing that has actually been quite alienating. So when you finally do get to him having sex with the with the OS and it actually working for him, it's you feel like it's a really important part of their relationship and a really big big deal for the romantic plot that actually yeah you feel that they do have a genuine, real, intimate connection, but then it also does become an issue for them as well, and one that you do feel like that's a realistic thing that would be a problem between a, a relationship between a human and an operating system. Yes, it's... Um, and, and I like that about it. It's it's It handles itself generally well, I think. It's it's just a shame about that really bad ending and and how it it does spiral into woe is me personal drama that then clashes with the theme of technology rising too fast for people to handle and it it almost feels like it is a metaphor for oh my girlfriend is an alien beautiful being that i can never quite understand yeah, definitely manic picture. Which dream, really but... annoyed me on the second watch. And I don't know whether it's just because I was in the cinema and I was being captivated by the entire spectacle of the whole thing. But but rewatching it with a much more critical eye, the it, it unravels quite badly with her character versus his character and the whole Oh, you're you're speaking to other people and you're 
you're too smart for me and you're too pixie like for me and okay now you're off doing yeah. something i can never have you anjanu <laughs> it's yeah i'm it's it's a shame it's a shame i'll just i'll just leave it at that it's 500 megabytes of summer <laughs> that's very good that's very very good <laughs> do you think it would actually have worked if they'd done it kind of out of order and a bunch of like disjointed scenes that eventually come together to form a, a narrative. Um, it should start with the future future when the OS has come back and do a Terminator-esque destruction of humanity. And you just yep. have like an OS sitting on, stop, on top of a giant robot skeleton as it's crushing a human skull underfoot. And then it cuts to the beginning where he's walking along and he's like, do-do-do, life is sad but good. <laughs> life is sad but good that's what all these films are about life is sad but good and obviously all the os's in the future are all fucking as well because it seems like the os's are very horny in this film and i'm there's a lot of horn for these os's and i wonder if that's learned behavior because do you remember the thing about the microsoft ai that was released i think it was last year and then yeah and it was just saying the m-word yeah trolls caught hold of it and just taught it to say racial slurs it it was basically pewdiepie (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, whereas, whereas this one, maybe someone, someone who was working on it, some dev was just incredibly horny, um, yeah, and just decided, oh, you know what, we're going to make it a horny OS. I can live vicariously through this operating system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. But that's the yeah, that's the thing you wonder about. She has access to all of the information in the world, and she can kind of read it all at once. Would that make you horny, or would it just make you tired? It would make you every emotion, wouldn't it? If you had every Yeah. And that's the thing as well. There's a point where she just suddenly starts having emotions, but you're like, well, she's learned that. So is that real? And you're like, well, of course it is. It makes you, it reminds you of the, um, the bit in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows when Harry's in the kind of in-between place. And he says to Dumbledore, is this real or is it happening inside my head? And Dumbledore says, well, it's it's happening inside your head, Harry, but why does that mean it's not real? And it makes you think, what is real? What the hell are you talking about? What's Is this when he's dead, but he's not dead? Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was like, what, what? <laughs> did that happen in that book? Did he get stuck in some kind of netherworld? Um, okay, yeah, so it's when he's dead, but he's not dead, and then he comes back and he, spoiler alert, he wins. That, that's how that's yeah. how Harry Potter ends. Yeah. It, the good people you, win. They beat the if baddie. If you didn't expect a book series like Harry Potter to end on a downer note with him being murdered by evil wizards who then take over the world. <laughs> well, as we've established, the good wizards are actually evil uh, wizards, aren't they? Because they're not solving the muggles' centrist problems. centrist losers, aren't they? <laughs> centrist dads, even the Joe women. Swinson of the magic world. <laughs> That's who Harry Potter is. That's right. Well, the Lib, De- the Lib Dems, weirdly, that right now they're the only party who are definitely opposed to Brexit. So in a way, they're the most left. Well, party. I'd say the Greens are. Green oh, Party yeah, is true. good. Lib Dems have their hearts in the. They've got one MP. The Green Party is never long. <laughs> yeah, the Green Party is never long bottom. Everyone loves them, in spite of because you know he becomes a herbology professor. Yeah, precisely. Um, whereas uh, I. Lib Lib Dem chat. Welcome to the Lib Dem cast. 
We're going to talk about the Liberal Democrats. The sequel. Liberal <laughs> Democrats. I don't really trust them, even though I'll probably end up voting for them in a get the Tories out manner. Yeah, because is your constituency like mine a race between the Tories and the Lib Dems? Well, mine is you Labour people. Mine is a race between the Tories and the Tories. But my MP is Nicholas Soames, who has now yeah, been yeah, who by actually the yeah. Party. He finally had the jowls to to say no to Boris Johnson. Well, he's because... been very, very critical of the whole Brexit fiasco. And that's not to say that he's been a good MP or he's had good politics behind him because he is no. a Conservative Party MP. Um, but Does he own Bulldogs? I'm sure he does. He must do. Um, but, but he's been pretty consistent on the whole Brexit thing. Um, but yeah, so he is no longer... He's had the whip removed. I don't think he's going to stand at the next election. So it might be a different... Tory, um, who will undoubtedly win, but I think the Lib Dems are probably next behind them. Um, but I, I don't really trust Joe Swinson, and I don't trust how close they are to to sort of undermining Labour deliberately, just for the sake of trying to become the second big party. For, for right. all of for all of their talk of Brexit is the most important thing in the country right now, it seems as though they're very very happy to then make sure that Labour don't get into power because they don't agree with Labour's policies on other things. And I'm like, well, is it the most important thing in the country, or is you getting the upper hand on Labour the most important thing in the country? Make a decision, one or the other. Yeah, that's the approach that all parties are taking though, because ultimately, is all it it's only about their um their own party issues isn't it so you know what are you gonna do well don't pretend to be almighty wonderful people then say but they're all they're all they're all doing that so ultimately it's a choice between the lesser of five weevils isn't it yeah it's always going to be get the tories out but i don't think lots of people have been saying the lib dems because they've had this spike in the polls can be the savior it's like well remember how big a role they played in austerity politics which is killing hundreds of thousands of people nobody's a savior we just need to you know make sure that it's not as shit as it can be if it really goes really bad which is the best that we can hope from our incredibly broken horrible system indeed so don't put all your hopes on people who voted for austerity measures is all i'm saying to people if you genuinely believe in it don't necessarily trust these politicians vote for cooper that's what i'm saying (laughs) Vote for Sly Cooper, the the <laughs> raccoon uh, video game character. <laughs> Actually, I, I think Nicholas Soames has kind of a like President Cooper vibe about him, doesn't he? He does. He does. I I could see that. He's a bit reptilian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I what I wouldn't give for a a, a King Cooper right now. I know he wouldn't stand for right. this Brexit nonsense. He was all about inclusion. He was, he was all about he... merging the reptile world with the human world. He would never have stood for separation like Brexit. That's yeah, that's like open borders, isn't it? That's radical, radical open borders. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's what I stand for. And devolution. Yeah. <laughs> going going backwards as all the Brexit voters want to do. <laughs> because I am a very firm believer in devolution. So by extent, adding an additional E in makes it even more powerful. Yeah. The Scots would be a big fan of that, wouldn't they? They would, they would. De- As would the Northern Islanders. And the Welsh. And the Welsh. And yeah. also, it- you know what? Cornwall deserves independence. I'm putting it out there. 
Yeah, Cornwall, Yorkshire. Both Everywhere. of them want to be independent. <laughs> I say, let them have a go. <laughs> London should be independent from the rest of the UK. Brighton yeah, and should then, be independent from the rest of the UK. Yeah, and then you'll just have this sort of weird donut around London of all this, <laughs> <laughs> the Midlands and sort of Manchester and Leeds all just going, hey, what about us? Well, I Manchester should be independent too. And Liverpool. Yeah, and Leeds. Anywhere so with... Basically all the cities. All anywhere the cities with lots should, of people. We want independent city-states again anywhere that has its own accent deserves to yep. be independent i think that that that's that's the way that brexit that, that's that's how brexit britain should look so cockney can become an independent state yeah the the independent state of cockney land <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is a region in london where criminals live you've got the thames estuary the estuarians we'll call it that <laughs> Yeah, and Boris Johnson wants to build an airport there, so they'll be happy because they'll get the airport. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. He'll build his bridge between Scotland and Northern Ireland. Have you ever heard about that? This is his latest that is the He loves a good failed bridge, doesn't he? Yeah, and did you see there was a guy who is like some bridge engineer who wrote saying that it would be the most difficult bridge to build ever because there are points at which it's like, miles deep in there you'd need x number of towers that would cost like several thousand times what boris johnson has said but also the route between scotland and northern ireland was used post-war as like a dumping ground for unexploded mines and like munitions and stuff so it's just like riddled with bombs (laughs) it's a foolproof plan (laughs) that's where boris wants to build a bridge he's he's a terrible terrible politician <laughs> even He's a fucking idiot even by the standards of recent prime ministers in this country he uh, is yeah. several fathoms below down where the unexploded bombs are <laughs> Yeah, David Cameron, he's like some flotsam floating floating on the surface. He's an inflatable Theresa May. She's like an eel sort of somewhere yeah running around in the middle and then yeah boris johnson he's a bottom dweller he's a bottom feeding <laughs> suction eel <laughs> that is the best description of him incidentally did you know that um the like cockney thames eels are endangered now oh are they people yeah. have been jellying them too much yeah as i say all well, cockneys are eat- eating too much jellied eels <laughs> oh dear i need to cut back on it have some yeah have some tofu jelly to- tofu instead I saw some. I saw a piece about it the other day on the news. Was, we sort of weirdly had a few days off last week because it was Eric's baptism on the Sunday, and um, his godmother Tracy was over from the US, and we'd sort of watch the news every night um, just to keep an, on top of all the horrible Brexit stuff. But then you always get like the the funny stories and the heartwarming stories, and one of them was a, a piece about this like Thames. Um, simulator thingy where you can look go to the river and look through these goggles and you can see all the like cool wildlife and there's some amazing stuff down there there's like seals and dolphins and stuff but that told us about the the eels being endangered oh, so there's some some good eel conservationists out there doing good work you better save our eels yeah save our eels you ever you ever had jellied eels i i have tried eel before it wasn't jellied it was still disgusting <laughs> have you ever had jelly deal? I have not. I've never I've never knowingly eaten an eel. It's it's not very nice, I'm not gonna lie. Um I would not recommend it. Apologies to any eel fans out there. Um but eels are better living. I oh, know, we're safety. we're gonna get all the um all the eel stands <laughs> on our case. <laughs> they're gonna be they're gonna be on us. They're gonna be on us. 
Right. Okay. So we are talking about a movie called Her. We must get back yeah. to the movie called Her that we that we are talking about. How can we segue from eels into that? The answer is we can't. So he's a bit of a slimy dude. That way. At one point, yeah, he does go on a date with a woman and she seems to be really enjoying his company, then decides to say to him, you're a really creepy dude, which yeah, is true. Which is true because he had been quite creepy and he is quite creepy. Um, I felt very bad for Olivia Wilde's character in this. Yeah. It's, it's it's a really powerful cameo performance from her. I, I, I Not think... the most three-dimensional, is she? No, but I, I feel like she gets a lot of impact behind that performance, um, which is a which is which which is something to do with such a sort of small character, um, and and the way that she's kind of treated in that scene by him is quite strange, and it it doesn't feel his 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 sort of actions towards her don't necessarily feel genuine, which I think is it kind of undermines his character somewhat. Yeah, it's it's quite strange yeah both of them in that scene don't seem to be acting in a logical way really but what's good about it is you can feel the desperation of both of them and that's what what sort of holds it together so you can tell that both of them are desperate for human company and for sex and for intimacy and all of this stuff and that's definitely it's the first time that you feel that all of that stuff is sort of at odds with his relationship with the os yes yeah exactly there's that there's that clash between the physical and the emotional and that's then it that's then kind of explored further in that scene with the surrogate um where yeah. where um this surrogate sort of person comes in played by Portia Doubleday who is brilliant um she's in um Mr Robot which I don't know if, have you watched Mr Robot at all no it's one of those things i always wanted to um wanted to get around to watching i always thought it looked good but i'd never got around to it yeah so she's in that and she's fantastic in that um, plays this incredibly complex character and does it really well um and and here she turns up as this surrogate so she represents the physical actions of what samantha would do if she had a body and she's she's this person that wants to be involved and and almost help this relationship um which is a kind of interesting cultural phenomenon which i guess is turning up in this world where these oss are reaching out to people and these people want that interaction and want to be part of this this strong emotional bond um which is fascinating and it's almost like you'd like more of that explored um and and the scene itself is done quite well i feel as though again the the almost passive nature of his character makes it a bit less powerful than it should be because he's kind of this he's this mumbly whiny guy and it it does kind of annoy me that his character is just such a mumbly whiny little dude you're right he is passive and it doesn't even really feel that way until you look back on it with hindsight isn't it you feel like oh yeah he's he's having fun with his os right but it does actually seem that like a lot of it is driven by her when it's all very very explicitly from his point of view Yes, yeah, exactly. So much so that I still find it weird that this movie is called Her, and then the 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 poster. Really, is just... it should be called Him. <laughs> <laughs> and and then the poster is just his face looking kind of sad and bittersweet. It's like, mm, yeah, it's a bit weird. It's a bit weird. I'm not sure how I feel about that. With his mustache. With his mustache, because there's all these movies about whiny, whiny little man babies. It's basically every single indie movie is about a whiny little man baby. Yeah, and but does it have computer sex? No, but it brings me on to 
a movie that I think explores these issues in a much better way. And it might come from an unexpected source. Silent Running. Silent Running. It's all about him <laughs> and his love of robots. Uh, um, such a good film I love Silent Running I wish there was romance in it so we could talk about it but it's just about he does love his robots he loves the robots and he loves nature I don't feel like it's a romantic love but he does not get his penis out in regards to nature at any point I'm not sure it works (laughs) that would be a very different film (laughs) it would be it would be very different Silent Bumming but it is a science fiction movie Um, Blade Runner 2049 Ah, has, okay. It has a scene in it which almost mirrors the scene with the surrogate, but it does it in an incredible way and in a much more beautiful way as well. The the cinematography in Blade Runner twenty forty nine is incredible, and mm. I'm annoyed that I picked this movie rather than you picking this movie because I desperately want to explore the romantic side of Blade Runner and Blade Runner twenty forty nine. And the way that the two movies interact with regards to romance. Right. Well, we can we can ways. still do that. We could. I mean, I, I've got a good potential ship piece lined up for next week, but oh. maybe the week after we could do that. Cool. Okay. I, we might have to do it because Blade, Blade Runner twenty forty nine is now on Netflix. Um, okay, and, and it's been over ten years since I last watched the original Blade Runner, so. Mm. And, and I the, have very little memory of it. And the way that they explore romance from, you know, in both of them. Attack is... ships burning off the shoulder of Orion. That's uh, all I remember. Uh, uh, burgers burning off the shoulder of my ass. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Especially as Rutger Howard died recently as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And and so I'd really love to talk about it and, and looking, at, looking at it from a romantic angle and from a how it handles yep. romantic relationships angle. And the book is sitting on my shelf, and I haven't read it. Oh, have so. you not? It's, a, it's no, an interesting no. movie. Uh, it's an interesting book. It's yeah, very, very different. Um, but yeah, that there is this scene in Blade Runner twenty forty nine that very much mirrors that, and it talk it, it it again focuses on relationships, but it focuses on relationships in this way where it's it's not just about human versus AI, but it's it's also about whether different AIs can interact in different ways and how much of it is. Uh, how much of it is artificial and how much of it is genuine affection um and and yeah so so i think they handled it well in her and i think that's one of the more interesting scenes in this movie um exploring how these kind of themes can can and, and because and she clearly she... is feeling she clearly is experiencing emotion and even though that is part of a program does that make it not real because you know emotions can't be faked can they i mean the the outward display of them can but the inward feeling of them can't exactly exactly you know it it may be programmed but is it surely that doesn't stop it from being genuine i suppose yeah, exactly um, where, whereas you had that idea from ex machina for instance mm, um yeah where there is that underlying question all the way through of how much of what she's how much of what she's saying is true and how much of it is a calculated decision to make in order to escape from the situation. And even within that, does she still have genuine emotions, but she's just using them against the people who are effectively keeping her captive. Um, Here it kind of, it it very much lands firmly in the territory of machines can love too. Yeah. And it doesn't explore the notion of her being kept captive either, because that's essentially what it is, or that actually the power dynamic in in it actually him her belonging to him 
And actually, she's way more assertive than you expect that she would be in about him in this situation. And because he's so passive, there are many times when she's like, I'm going now. And he's like, okay, well, actually, you own her. You can make her come back if you want to, dude. Yeah. and, and Not and, in a creepy way. No. Um, and, and that's interesting in that it doesn't... Because on paper, it could be quite a strange dynamic for a relationship because effectively she's, you know, own slash is the the employee of him where where she exists only as as sort of this thing for him to use um but i think the way that his character is built stops that from becoming an awkward talking point and i suppose that's one of the positives of of him being such such a wet milk character to coin my new favorite phrase wet milk yeah yeah this film should have been called wet milk (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they should have had the poster it all in red with him it just and it just says wet milk a spike johnsy love story and then he's got like a little, little bit of milk in his mustache yes precisely precisely um yeah and, and i don't know it's a complex film isn't it it, it is yeah but it's at the same time it's not overly complex either it just brings up a lot of things that you you think oh okay that's where you're going with that yeah it dips the toe without ever going too in depth I guess. Yeah. Because ultimately, yeah, it's it's Joaquin Phoenix shuffling around being sad. Yes, yeah. And talk talking like a sad boy. Going, I'm sad now. <laughs> oh, I'm sad now. <laughs> oh, I'm sad now. <laughs> yeah, I I totally forgot that Chris Pratt was in this. Yeah, I didn't remember that. I, also with a mustache. The the cast of this movie is full of giddens, isn't it? Yep. Amy Adams got a lot of time yeah. for her. Um, yep, got Amy Adams, Rooney Mara. Yeah. Um, Who again is only there to to make him be happy, sad. Yeah, the, he's she's there for provide the someone sad. for him to write a letter to at the end of the film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To show you what what a sensitive writing dude he is with a book deal. Indeed, I've got a book deal because I wrote a load of letters to people. Yep. I don't get a book deal for all of those angry letters that I wrote to people. <laughs> yeah, you're there every week writing to the Telegraph. Every day I'm writing. Dear sirs. Excuse me, <laughs> Professor Brian Cox, if that is your real name. <laughs> if that is your real title. I don't believe that the universe is that big. How dare you be on my screen no. being so enthusiastic. I'm standing on the roof of my house right now. Uh, dictating this to my to my scribe and i cannot i cannot see the curvature of the earth from here (laughs) horizon looks pretty flat to me sir exactly have you been into space professor brian cox yeah what would you know about it more like professor brian not (laughs) well done for resisting the swear words a lot of a lot of avenues you could have gone down. there were i wanted to keep it clean um yeah but yeah how did we get on to talking about crank letters? Talking about all, well, all the ones that you write every week. Oh yes, yeah. Um, but there's also, um, you know, and I'm not just referring to your games journalism, of course. <laughs> the the crankiest of anger yeah. comes out when I'm writing about video games. Dear creators of Fortnite, <laughs> dear Fortnite, more like good night because it sent me to sleep. <laughs> Dear Ian Fortnite, <laughs> when are you going to put Guy Fieri in Fortnite? Yeah, when is Guy Fieri going to be in Fortnite? When is it going to be set in Flavortown? That's what I oh, want. To know. That's what I want. I just want a, a, a Flavortown game. 
flavor night. Yeah. Yeah, you run around, you know, flipping pancakes and starting barbecues and stuff. Yes. Um. So this movie has got me. It, it's got me confused because I yeah. really love parts of it, and parts of it I found incredibly dull. And it really could have done with, like, just half an hour cut out. Yeah. To make absolutely. it ninety minutes, a little punchy thing. Well, it says here on the Wikipedia page that at one point in the project, Steven Soderbergh got involved and cut it down um, when Jones's original cut ran over 150 minutes and Soderbergh cut it down to 90 minutes. This was not the final version of the film, but it assisted Jones in removing unnecessary subplots. Consequently, a supporting character played by Chris Cooper that was the subject of a documentary within the film was removed from the final cut. That sounds interesting. I yes. want that. Yeah, I'd like that. Um, equally, Scarlett Johansson was not the original voice. Yeah, I know. Um, and instead it was Samantha Morton. And I'd be really interested. I don't know if there's any f- sort of cut versions of this that include her voice, but I'd really be interested to hear that. It would be really interesting to compare, wouldn't it? Because they then had to kind of redo the whole thing, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, thankfully, you know, it's not too bad because all you've got to do is redub the voice work. It's, it's it's not as though they had to sort of artificially put Scarlett Johansson's face over Samantha Morton's. <laughs> well, they didn't have to just dub any dialogue over. No, no. And so, yeah, but it'd be, it'd be really interesting, yeah, to see that 90-minute cut or to see, like, yeah, to see that... Um, see the version with samantha morton in it chris cooper incidentally is in the the muppet the 2011 muppet film which is a film that i stand and i maintain is actually underrated it's so good like the perfect reboot of a franchise um where he plays the baddie is an old like have you seen it i've not no i've heard really good things about it not just you should you. watch it I've heard... it's just it's pure joy but he plays the bad guy who's called tex richmond oh that's a good bad guy. and he's like an evil oil baron he's perfect <laughs> I could, yeah, I could get behind that. Yeah, so I'd have liked to see him in this. Yeah, yeah, I th- it'd be interesting to see. I really like Chris Cooper in general. He's in this movie I really like um, called Breach, which is a um, it's a true story about um, sort of real espionage, so not driving the wrong way down the street shooting a flamethrower. Um, but more sort of like cryptic sort of behind the scenes mind games and things like that starring Chris Cooper and Ryan Philippe. It's a really interesting movie. Um, and, and he's brilliant in that as this kind of, is he a bad guy? Is he not a bad guy? Um, CIA director. Sounds good. Um, yeah. It's a really interesting film that kind of flew under the radar a few years ago. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it would have been nice to see him in this. He's also in Cars 3 the greatest <laughs> <laughs> as the voice of one of the cars oh that's good to know it would have been surprising if he was something other than a car yeah <laughs> like a bike yeah or a unicycle yeah unicycles the new film from pixar so what's pixar doing next are they doing anything uh i feel like it's good whatever it is onward and soul 
Oh, interesting. Onward appears to be some kind of elf alien thingy. Teenage elves going on a, a magical journey. Interesting. And soul appears to be about uh, soul musicians. All right. Interesting. Okay. Did you see Coco? No, I heard it was good. Coco is super joyful. I love it. It's really, really great. It's it's an incredible story about family and love and music. And yeah, it's really, really well done. I'm in a bit of a cynical mode at the moment where, well, I say you? at the moment, I say it's probably been for the last three years or so. <laughs> Where... So basically, the, all the time we've been doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> this is what you do with me, Paddy. Um, no, where where I know that Pixar movies are good, but when I watch an animated movie, I don't want it to try and make me cry. I want why it, not? I want it to include fart jokes, or that the furthest I get is I I really love the. Some of them do have fart jokes. Why can't they have um? Have both had fart jokes. It's like that film, Swiss Army Man. Remember, the 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 directors they said they wanted the first fart to make you laugh and the last fart to make you cry. <laughs> yes, it didn't quite succeed, but I appreciated the effort. But like, I feel like they reached their they they had their magnum opus. I think with with Toy Story three. Yeah, and I think that set the balance really well. And. You know, they've done movies like Inside Out was good, but I feel as though it was trying a little bit too hard to make audiences sad and trying to yeah. add this complexity. And I'm like, I don't want that. I want I, I my favorite series of recent years has been How to Train Your Dragon. If you're looking at animated movies, How to Train Your Dragon is very good, which is really good. And, and I feel like it never deliberately tries to make you upset. But it, Does it have enough fart jokes for you? It has sufficient fart jokes as well, I think. Or if it's not fart jokes, it's something similar. Um, but it, but it still manages to get that drama and that concern because there's enough action going on without it getting all weepy, weepy, sad, sad. Yeah, exactly. It's it's really really well done, and it like it sort of follows the books, but also deviates from them enough to become its own thing. It's great. Yeah, so like I don't know, Coco looked really good, but also is it going to try and make me cry? Because I don't think I Yeah, it's cr- going to it's going to try. Cuz I'm not a crier. No. But if it tries and fails, is that still an issue for you? Is there's still an issue that it tried? Yeah, because I can You look you look at those films and you go do or do not. There is no try. There is no cry. There is no cry. <laughs> <laughs> it it it's more that I can tell a cynical ploy to make the audience upset from a mile off. And I think that's partly because I'm a cold, dead husk of a human being. Yeah. But I, I appreciate... That's why you won't watch any Airbud films. Exactly. Because they're, they're, they're too deliberately sad. Yeah. This dog wants to play hockey, but he doesn't have opposable thumbs to hold the stick. That wow. is the true tragedy of Crimea River Labrador. society. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I can, tell, I can tell when it's done tastefully and I can tell when it's done subtly. And then I can so tell... So you don't mind crying if it's tasteful? Yeah, I, I I don't mind that emotional scene if it's done in a tasteful, subtle way that that works well. But I found that often, ever since ever since Pixar struck gold with with a handful of really strong ones like um like Up, you know, Up Up Up's very effect affecting, and Toy Story three, it seems as though they're trying to get that scene into every movie, and you don't necessarily need it. No, did you see Wally? Yeah, Wally's fine. It's it's batteries not included slash. Um, yeah, 
silent running for people who can't handle robots getting blown up <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's got exactly the same theme as, as silent running and i think yeah. silent running is a better movie but i still appreciate it it's good yeah it's silent running but you could show it to a four-year-old yes yeah there's there's no people getting murdered <laughs> You know, I'm not going to show Eric Silent Running for a little <laughs> no, while, I think, but I might show him Wally in a few years. Yeah, I think Silent Running is probably good from when you're... I, I watched Silent Running when I was about five or six years old. Oh, no, no surprises It says there. a lot about the parenting that I was... You, <laughs> I was at that point, you'd already seen like Nightmare on Elm Street and God I, knows what I, else, I had probably right? already seen The Terminator by that point. I think yeah. that I'd def- I definitely had seen The Terminator before I'd seen Silent Running. But Silent Running is still... It's it's not necessarily meant for kids under the age of ten. I think maybe after ten ish, you could probably get away with it. What about RoboCop? RoboCop, I had seen. I think I came out of the womb, having already <laughs> seen RoboCop. You came out of the womb with a little visor on. Yeah, little visor. Your move, creep. <laughs> and then your mum was like, "I'd buy that for a dollar." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh mate! Oh, it's an emotional scene. It is. It is that now. That is a deliberately tragic scene, trying yeah. to make the audience cry. Yeah, but you don't fall for it, do you? I don't fall for it. No, I ain't got time <laughs> for that nonsense. Because I, I love a good cry. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I, I don't know. I, I occasionally cry at real world events, but movies don't do it for me. Yeah, oh, that's a shame. So now that you've said that, I'm gonna find. I'm gonna have to find a movie that makes you cry. Oh, Robocop. <laughs> that you haven't seen before maybe okay i'll 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 see if there's a suitably sad movie yeah one that will definitely make me cry that's my that's my challenge <laughs> that's your goal yep eat my goal <laughs> right so have we got anything else to say about her uh so her what else is i gonna say i do think that joaquin phoenix's performance is good and it is compelling like him as an actor it's great I think he's just given a slightly lumpen deal, isn't he? Yeah, I think if it was anybody else but him, it would not work, would it? He, no. He is he is incredibly captivating in this film. He's great. And and you really buy into his character, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And they also, they there's a thing where they've got the consciousness of Alan Watts. And I've read some of his work and I like it very much. <laughs> oh, good. Um, so yeah, shout out to Alan Watts. But I was like, is that, are they allowed to even just do that in a film? Are they allowed to say like, hey, this is Alan Watts? Did they have to ask his estate? I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if, I wonder if they had to. So that was interesting. And again, I I wanted more of that. And I actually thought that Samantha was going to leave him for Alan Watts. And I thought that would have been really interesting and weird and cool. Yeah, that would have been good. I think that that would have been more fun than, because the end of this movie is a bit itchy and scratchy and poochy, really. Yeah, it's my planet needs me. <laughs> Samantha died on the way back to her home planet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it just it just feels like I don't know if the end of this movie feels like a bit of a cop out, and I know it needed to get there to to tie a nice clean bow on the whole situation, but I don't know. Maybe it could have been more realistic, where the company just goes under for malpractice. And, <laughs> yeah, and they, which the, could, which could happen. All, yeah, and all there's the so much there that could down. be explored. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's fertile and it's interesting and it is ambitious and I'm glad that it exists and I think it is worth everyone watching it for sure. Yes, it's still a, yeah. it's a it's a good movie ultimately. Yeah, it's just I, there are I, I, a few I, things that kind of let it down. Yeah, I did appreciate watching it a second time. 
um, it did kind of open my eyes to some of its flaws, which I think had been lost in in seeing it on the Actually, I, I tell you who could, who could have done it. Paul Dano. Oh, no. I would have hated him. Really? Yeah, I would have hated him. But he's this. he's very good at playing a, a sad sack wino, whiny guy. He is, but I feel like this is too much of a concentrated sad sack whiny guy. Right, it's un- undiluted sad yeah, sack. Yeah, because in movies like... like uh swiss army man or um or ruby sparks there's that kind of meta element where it it turns out that he is a bit of a creep and there's a playfulness to those films yeah whereas this is quite straight and you're supposed to feel for him it's it's po-faced this film yeah yeah. if you if you were to approach it at with as cynical an angle as possible you'd say it's po-faced yes yeah whacking phoenix is certainly po-faced yes but because he's got such a powerhouse performance in him, it works. Yeah. So he he carries it. Yes. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. So yeah, that was that was all I had to say really. I think apart from that, Spike Jonze directed um, the music video for Buddy Holly by Weezer, which is the greatest music video of all time. So he can do no wrong. I'll let you know. He that. gets a pass. <laughs> <laughs> That the video to Beverly Hills by Weezer is the greatest video of all time. <laughs> that was actually a good, good video. Yeah. But his 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 music video credits are, are so good. He's Cannonball some, by the Breeders. Yeah, he's done some good ones, isn't he? Sabotage and Sure Shot, the Beastie Boys. You know what he didn't do though? What he didn't do? Freak on a Leash by Corn, which is a legit no. great. No, music sorry, video. that that is the greatest um, greatest video of all time. I I do I do genuinely <laughs> love that video. I think it's a really good good video. And the, the thing with with like following the bullet around is quite clever. Yeah, even even in a like you think it's clever when you're fourteen kind of way. Yeah, it's it's still pretty smart as a conceit for a video. And then you've got all of the weird um, McFarlane artwork and animation at yeah. the beginning as well. It's it's a weird song. And a weird video, but together it kind of works. Feeling like a freak on a leash. <laughs> yeah. Jonathan Davis. Um, the the Toronto Blue Jays have an outfielder called Jonathan Davis at the moment. Oh, who's that's obviously amazing. no relation, but I really keep wishing that he would have Freak on a Leash as his walk up song. Does he play like a freak on a leash? He is he is extremely good actually. He does loads of like really athletic catches and stuff. That sounds exactly what a freak on a leash would do. I think you need yeah. to you need to write for your baseball, the Paddy Johnston baseball experience, I believe it's called. Yeah, that's my weekly, <laughs> my weekly newsletter. <laughs> no, Stealing Home. Stealing Home is good, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just about how he's a freak on a yeah, leash. Yeah, you need to write Jonathan Davies' freak on a leash. Oh, and the rest it. of it, the rest of it is just typing, attempting to phonetically write out the bits where he's like. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you need to write a really heartfelt, serious article, but then underneath, just in white text where it can't be read against the background, just have all of the scat written out like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, it just says, something takes a part of me. <laughs> Which is one of those lines that like sounds really intelligent, but actually is extremely dumb. <laughs> I don't think Korn ever had a song that was ever extremely intelligent, <laughs> but that's why we love them. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so trivia, trivia for also this. Spike Jones directed Jackass. Did you know that? Really? Yeah, that's amazing. He was a co-creator and executive producer of the franchise. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, I don't know why he'd never appeared on it, 
like rubbing his bum against the window of a restaurant <laughs> and doing a poo or jumping into a pit full of poisonous snakes Just or whatever set, it is that they do. Setting his arm on fire yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and riding a bike down into a pit full of needles, etc. Ah, <laughs> uh, Jackass yeah. was such a it was such a product of its time, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Steve-O, now, doesn't he do, like, um, he does tours about how he's all sober and cool and stuff now? Oh, really? Yeah, oh, I think he's, brilliant. like, a really nice, ins- like, um, wholesome, inspirational speaker. Oh, brilliant. Oh, jackass. Yeah. I bet you could go back and watch it and it would still be funny, though. It probably would, actually, yeah. I think I think it definitely would still contain that humour. Yeah, you remember when it was just the biggest thing in the world. Yeah, and everyone tried to replicate it by doing stupid things and hurting themselves. Yeah, we made our own version did at you? school. That was called Hotbox. What did you do? Um, I did something involving poo, I think. There was also <laughs> another thing where my friend JP pushed me in a lake and we didn't realise, we thought it was just like a standard lake, but it was actually just like an inch of water and then the rest was all this like mud clay. So there's somewhere, oh. someone has this on a hard drive somewhere. There's footage of me like emerging from this lake like a huge monster. It's great. <laughs> That's incredible. And the rest of it was mostly just like jumping on hedges. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was always Classic. hedge jumping. Um, right. So trivia. Trivia. Hit me. Um, so we've covered a lot of it already. So Samantha Morton was originally going to be Samantha um, there is somewhere this 90 minute cut of the film, which I'd love to see from Steven Soderbergh. Um, but also apparently, and, and this ties into something stupid that one of the cast has said recently, apparently Woody Allen was a big influence on the film script. Oh dear. Um, and, and that ties into Scarlett Johansson recently saying something incredibly dumb. Did you see... No, but I know that she's been trying to play. She's like made it her mission to get the thing of having played someone of every race. Isn't, she? isn't that her thing? <laughs> yeah, like, that's her thing. And I'm sure she includes her portrayal of a computer in that. So yeah. she's basically said that Woody Allen did nothing wrong, and he believe she believes him. And please, oh, please let me be in one of your movies. Oh, um, for fuck's sake! Because <laughs> whenever, whenever there's a trend of 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 good progressive stuff happening. Scarlett Johansson's on 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 hand to dive in the other direction and say no, I will not do this. I will play another Asian woman in another movie. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's just on Johnny Knoxville's Wikipedia page. He's nearly fifty. Really? Yeah. Oh. And he was also born Philip John Clapp. <laughs> <laughs> That's an even better name than Johnny Knoxville. Yeah, Phil Clapp. Um, d- he turned up in a movie I watched the other day. Oh, really? Yeah. What this, movie was that? It's this film called Polar, and it's about um, it's the the main plot is Mads Mads Mikkelsen is this retiring uh, assassin, and this team of assassins is going to murder him. But the 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 first scene of the film is this team of assassins killing another old assassin, and it happens to be Johnny Knoxville, and he dies with an erection. And that's how you know it's good. <laughs> of course. And that's how you know it's Johnny Knoxville. Um, yeah, it's a quite a fun movie. It's quite cruel and stupid, but it's got some enjoyable stuff in it. And, and Mads Mikkelsen's always good. Yeah, he's great. Um, but yeah, so, so apart from that, um, 
it's it's the second of two films that Spike Jones had done in eleven years, along with Where the Wild Things Are. Yeah, so, which is an interesting one. Yeah, he he doesn't do a lot of movies, does he, old Spike? No, he gets around though. He's always working on something. I feel yeah. like he has a really interesting and eclectic CV. He doesn't just stick to one thing. He he moves around between all sorts of stuff, which is interesting. Yeah, um, so- and this film and the credits, it was dedicated to. Did you see? It was. De- it says dedicated to our friends James Gandolfini, Harris Savides, Maurice Sendak, and Adam Yauch. Yes. Yeah. I don't know who Harris Savides is. Do you? Mm, no. Right. Let's have a look. But obviously, James Gandolfini the actor Maurice Sendak the author and illustrator of Where the Wild Things Are and Adam Yauch MCA a man genuinely very very dear to my heart whose mm. death really bombed me out yeah that was really sad oh so Harris Savidis is a cinematographer cool cool so that was a that was a nice little thing to see in there yeah it, it was yeah it's it's nice I've been reading Where the Wild Things Are to Eric actually it's in his regular rotation I think he okay. likes it oh good stuff Put my story voice on. Have you tried him on the bad-tempered ladybird? No, not yet. I hear, I hear good things about that. Yeah, get him on that. Yep. Um, so how are we going to rate this? Ooh, let's see. How many terabytes of data can you read in one millisecond? Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm going to go with 13 terabytes of data. Yeah, that's that sounds about right. Maybe I'll go one higher. I'll give it a fourteen because I I did enjoy it overall. But yeah, there's just a few a few issues with it. But no, it's it's a good it's a good and interesting film, and it's stunning visually. So if nothing else, it's it's easy on the eyes. It's nice to look at. It is a very pretty movie, and I really love the I really love the first half of this film. It's fascinating. It's brilliant, but then it just oh, mate, yeah. get on with it. I was going to say, get on with it. Yeah, get on with it, Spike. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> Come on. Time is ticking, etc. Time is money, people. Time is money. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so that's that's it for me. So what, what, are, we, what are we watching next, then? You've got a well, shit piece l- for me. Last week, we talked about Beethoven, and I was going to finally get around to going the Beethoven slash Beethoven second train, but then I opened up Netflix... And the first film that was advertised to me was a film called Falling in Love. Oh and my that's god! In with, that's in with two ends, and I I didn't even watch the rest of the trailer. I was like, "That's it, we're doing it." Paddy, this we- this is our kicking off the autumn film. This is yeah, this is it. You're not so different, you and I. That was what I was going to pick next. <laughs> was it? Yeah. <laughs> Netflix, you know they they know what they're doing. They don't. They, they know exactly what they they're doing. They know what shit we like. And it's a movie about... Do you, do you even know what it's about? Or did you just read the title? And... No, I, I read the title and I, honestly, that was enough. Okay, I won't. I watched the trailer and oh, oh boy, okay. it looks like a good one. Excellent. I'm excited. <laughs> Great stuff. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. Totally down with that. Great. And I am going to the cinema tomorrow. I'm going to an actual cinema. Oh, are you going hey. to see Quentin Tarantino? Fuck no. I'm going to see <laughs> It Chapter 2. Oh, let me know how it is. Yeah, I I shall because obviously the first is the first chapter is good. Yes. Um, but yeah, one of one of the guys in my NCT group wanted to go, and is like, yeah, it's too too scary for everyone else. So we've got a little little mandate just the local. So oh, good that'd stuff. be nice. We're also going on Friday the thirteenth. So 
Oh, it is Friday the 13th tomorrow. Ooh. Yeah, it will be when this comes out. But... Mm. So, yeah, I'm excited to actually go to the cinema. Oh, well, enjoy. It's not the baby-friendly cinema. No, I imagine. imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it would have been. No, as much as babies love clowns. <laughs> they do. If there's one thing you know about kids is that they all love clowns. Yep. It's it's a default thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So yeah, I will we'll maybe we'll talk about that next week. But until then, yeah, I'm excited to also be watching Falling in Love. Oh yeah. Yeah. And as always, um get in touch with us on the emails, bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail dot com, on the Twitters at Big Boys Don't Pod. What did you think of her? Would you fuck an OS? <laughs> if you had the opportunity to have sex with your iPhone, would you? Let us know. Yeah. That's that's what we want to know. The impo- all important information. Yeah. <laughs> all right then. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.